it would be very hard for me to imagine anything more satisfying than this. My first and oldest grandchild, now a grown woman, about to marry a godly man who we have prayed for since, since Sophie was a little girl. Julian, once we learned your name, we added that to our prayers as well. You both stand here in this glorious moment at the tip of the spear of a long legacy of committed Christians. You are blessed to have present today not only your parents, but four sets of grandparents and one set of great-grandparents. The two of you are the product of 317 years of Christian marriage present in this room right now. The amount of labor and love that has been poured into you from all these parents, directly and indirectly, is incalculable. And when we factor in the countless others from your families and Christian communities, we are not surprised, but we are blessed and, as I said, deeply satisfied. This is no accident. This is not good luck. No, this is the beauty of love and sacrifice and, more importantly, faith and grace. God's ancient promises to his people are not only profound and powerful, but they are also certain. And that's because he is faithful. He is the promise-keeping God. Psalm 103, verse 17 and 18 says, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments to do them. So many have a false and narrow view and a caricature of the Christian life and truly Christian marriage as simplistic, rigid, and dull, when in fact it is multifaceted, liberating, and full of joy. For those who truly know you and for those who will witness your marriage and family, I am confident that you will dispel those erroneous notions by providing an image of loveliness. Many have taken God's words, his promises and warnings lightly or have ignored them altogether, but you too are profoundly blessed to have not only had a faithful God, but also many others who have been faithful to him and to you. God made this world full of hidden pleasures that are so easily overlooked. On the front end, they don't seem like pleasures, but on the back end, the pleasures are great. Julian and Sophie, you are reaping the pleasure of having been told no many times. You have learned the pleasure that only comes from hard work. And while you have known the temporary pain of dis discipline, you also have known what the scriptures teach, which is that such discipline produces the pleasure of the peaceful fruit of righteousness. These are the deep and lasting pleasures and joys that turn immature, selfish children into mature, self-sacrificing adults. 
In other words, you have both been trained to love God and to love your neighbor, and these are the greatest of God's commandments. Of course, all these people who stand behind you and under you and around you have also failed in many ways. They have even failed you at times. Yet even in those sins and failures, they too have learned the grace of God in repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. God first loved us so that we could then love him. Julian and Sophie, even with all the good things you have been given, none of that compares to the grace that you have been given in Jesus Christ. Now all of this means, as Jesus said, to whom much is given, from him much will be required. God's initial mandate to the first husband and wife was nothing short of dominion over the earth. Genesis 1, 26-27, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. The two of you represent him in this, in this world, and he has called you to rule over it for his glory. Your labor is to be productive, efficient, and responsible. You are to provide for your family and for your neighbors by giving a portion to them. Moreover, one of the main ways you'll do this, Lord willing, will be, as Psalm 103 said, through your children and your children's children. As soon as God placed the first husband and wife over all the earth, he blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What's been done for you must now be carried on for generations to come. At the center of all this is loving communion. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three persons in one God, are an eternal loving communion. And when the triune God created male and female after his image, the loving communion, or community, expanded. And when he called them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, he called them to expand that loving communion. Of course, sin killed the loving communion so that misery and death separated not only the first husband and wife from God, it has also been threatening to separate and kill every relationship ever since. And that's why the gospel of Jesus Christ is such good news. When sincerely applied, it brings the remedy, it raises the dead, it restores life, and it rebuilds loving communion. In addition to your love for God, there is nothing more important than your love for one another. Loving communion with him and loving communion between husband and wife. And if God is pleased to give you children, there will be no greater gift of an, or inheritance that you will give them than a father is to be that place of loving communion. Everything else, even some good things, must take a back seat to this grand and glorious purpose. Everything you do, cooking the meals, washing the clothes, paying the bills, taking out the trash, making love, showing hospitality, worshiping, praying, speaking, laughing, and everything else should contribute to that loving communion. But just like the Garden of Eden, the devil seek, seeks a foothold, and he will try to take every one of those things and use them to separate and kill your marriage and your family. So you will have to be on the lookout all the time and never let him win. 
in order for your garden to be fruitful in every way, it will require nurture and diligence. Godly habits are the greatest guard. I know that the two of you have gotten a head start on many of these habits. You have done those things that the world scoffs at, but which will bring you everlasting joys and deliver your own deep satisfactions. 1 Corinthians 1 says, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You already pray together, worship together, serve together, give together, fellowship together, and sacrifice together. Keep it up. Keep it up for a lifetime, and you will also see your children's children and be blessed and satisfied. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall a man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. And yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Mike Mason writes in his book, The Mystery of Marriage, Part of the secret to the effectiveness and strength of the particular little vows of marriage lies in the scandal of waste, the extravagant simplicity of focus, for marriage involves nothing more than a lifelong commitment to love just one person, to do whatever else one does, a good, thorough job of loving one person. What could be simpler than that? There is nothing simpler than love. Like it or not, you and your spouse are in it together and in it for life, and the work of, tra of traveling in marriage is the most vital work you can do. In the Lord's plan for the world, there is no work more important than the work of relationship, and no relationship is more important than that of one's marriage. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. You too love each other, which means that you must give yourself to each other, as Jesus did for us. Julian, your vows are a pledge to give yourself to Sophie. Sophie, your vows are a pledge to give yourself to Julian. Love is always about sacrifice and giving. You're about to make vows to one another, which is an act of faith, and if, because if we were naturally faithful, we wouldn't need to take vows because they wouldn't be necessary. But having all these witnesses present today, you are calling upon the support of your family, friends, and communities to help you and hold you to your promises, and you're about to promise to love in spite of any future changes or adversity, good or bad, wealth or poverty, sickness or health. Julian and Sophie, if you will bless one another by earnestly and faithfully keeping your vows to one another, then not only will you and your family be blessed, indeed, the whole world will be blessed. A lot is riding on what you are about to say and do. 
we'll all be watching to see if you really mean it. And we have every expectation that you do. May the Lord bless you both and use you for his glory forever and ever. Amen.